really all goes back to delegation and, and feeling comfortable with investing in somebody to free up my time. Because when you have more time, you can focus on your business. That's when you move the needle forward, as they say in corporate speak. Welcome to Profit and Prosper, a podcast for entrepreneurs who are ready to make some money while doing what they love. On this podcast, we're going to pull back the curtain and talk about all things business and money, but I promise you this is not your typical boring numbers talk. I'm your host, Sarah Young, a CPA and CFO with over a decade of experience in finance, business, and leadership. I'm going to share everything I've learned from helping my clients grow more profitable businesses and keep more of what they earn while growing my own successful business along the way. You'll feel empowered and confident that you too can grow your wealth, live a rich life, and have an impact. Stick with me and you might even start to think that finance is fun. Let's dive in. What's up, y'all? Welcome back. This week, I have a really great interview with Josh Hall, who is a web design business coach and host of the Web Design Business Podcast. Josh is a 13-year business veteran who has grown two businesses from the ground up. The first was a web design business that he grew and eventually sold so that he could focus on his current web design coaching business, where he has helped 1,300 students build their dream web design business so they can have the freedom and the lifestyle that they want. In this episode, we talked about how your money mindset is either going to be something that holds you back from making more money or empowers you to raise your prices, build your team, grow your business, and build wealth. We covered our similar backgrounds and similar story of how we started our businesses by wildly undercharging, and I know a lot of you can probably relate to that. We talked about how business is a roller coaster with a lot of highs and lows, but that keeping your money mindset strong can help you stay consistent and make it back up when things are hard and need to shift. We covered three ways that Josh sees students' mindsets holding them back and how you can shift your money mindset with a couple of tangible pieces of advice that you can implement in your business now. So this was a great interview just because of Josh's depth and breadth of experience with his business and with helping all of his students start and grow their businesses So whether you are a web designer, coach, course creator, or you do something completely different in your business, I think you can learn a lot of valuable stuff from this episode. So I hope you enjoy. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to this week's episode. I am here with Josh Hall. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Sarah. You were on my podcast actually just recently, and I had such a good time chatting with you. So when you invited me on, I was like, absolutely. I would love to spend another segment of time with you at a talk shop. And uh, I feel like we're very like-minded in a lot of ways. So I, yeah, I, I, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. Yeah, I agree. So on, when we did the interview on your podcast, you know, we talked about money mindset. We kind of talked about all things finance. I feel like we covered a just a ridiculous amount of topics in an hour. But one of the things we talked about was money mindset. And you were like very into the idea of money mindset. And you even said, I don't remember if it was on the show or before or after that you would even like write a book about this topic one day. And I obviously, this is something that I 
come across all the time and talk about. And so I thought, let's talk about it. So before we dive into money mindset, tell me about you and your business and what you do, like a little bit of your story. Well, right now I am a web design business coach. So I help people build their dream web design business that will give them freedom and a lifestyle they love. That's what I'm really passionate about. That's what I've dedicated the last few years of, of my life to doing. I do that through online courses and I have uh, I host the web design business podcast. Uh, love doing YouTube videos and teaching. So I love the online entrepreneurial world. Going back though, I started as a web designer. So I started as a web designer. I grew my agency and eventually sold it. It was about a 10 year journey of being a web designer, then eventually starting to teach and share what, what I learned and my experience in building that business. Backing up though, before that, talk about money mindset, I was a cabinet maker for a tour bus customizing shop, making $11 an hour. Uh, so that's where I was. I mean, I just, I come from a middle-class, just blue collar style family. All of my family are, are corporate people. So um, entrepreneurship never entered my mind. I never thought I would be a business owner, never thought I'd be an entrepreneur, but I did hate the idea of being stuck in a cubicle and being a corporate job. I just dreaded that thought. And when I became a cabinet maker, I worked for this tour bus customizing shop. Um, long story short, I was also playing drums in a rock band and we were traveling all over the country. I was kind of a weekend warrior and I was doing both of those things after high school. And then I got laid off from my cabinet making job in 2009. And when I got laid off, I was still doing the band thing, but we weren't making much money. And I was like, I got to make some money. What type of part-time job could I get? What could I do? I had always had an interest in design and I will never forget it. The day after I got laid off, I dove into Photoshop and I started doing design work. And then I started doing design work for my band and uh, doing like t-shirt designs and CD artwork and merchandise. One day we were playing a festival and this guy asked me how much I would charge to do design work for his band. And that was my light bulb moment that was like, wow, I can make money doing this, something that I enjoy. And that's how I got into the design world uh, in the beginning. That is actually really interesting. So you've been in your business for quite some time. So what is that? 13 years 13 now? Year, yeah. Yeah. 13 years. I've, I've been uh, self-employed and been an online entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, again, the money mindset thing is probably one of the biggest factors that has both empowered me and also held me back throughout this well over decade journey. Uh, because I didn't come from a family of business owners or entrepreneurs, again, I was making $11 building cabinets. And so when I started doing design work, I'm sure you can guess where my price ranges were. They were like beyond cheap. I mean, I could have made more at McDonald's. I was charging such low rates when I started in the design world. And there was, there was also, there was a lot of limiting beliefs about not only my worth and value, but what people would pay. So as I look back at my journey, like the biggest changes in my business, as far as seeing my numbers go up and to the right, which I know is what you as a financial uh, person wants to see, it really all boiled down to money mindset because I was essentially holding myself back because I just wasn't charging enough and I didn't think people would pay it or I didn't think I was worth enough. So I feel like your story is really similar to mine. <laughs> My whole background. So I also come from a very middle-class family, lots of blue collar, you know, some corporate workers. Um, 
but definitely like we, we are employees and we trade time for money. Basically Mm. I'm the first business owner in my family, at least in our, my close family that I know of. And I actually remember this very specifically. So 2021, interestingly, was my first full year, full time in business. Cause I side hustled and then had a baby and went like part-time to full-time anyways. When I started 2022, due to childcare issues, I was only working like 25 hours a week. And I remember telling my mom who worked at, you know, Bell South AT&T for 40 some years, right? I said to her like, oh, I'm working less hours, but I'm going to make at least double the money this year that I did last year. And she looked at me and she's not doubting me. She doesn't like, she totally believes in my ability to do anything I want, but she literally looked at me and she said, good luck with that. (laughs) And it's just like that mindset of, you know, your value is tied to your work is something that I have had to unwind. And my, I was a teacher for two years, but then I went to get my master's and then I went back and worked at Deloitte as my first accounting job. And so that was another place where it's like, you work the long hours, you put in the time and you don't make that much money when you break it down. And so I've like carried that mindset with me through. And so I think very similar to you, to you, I started off underpricing, over delivering, just like wildly undercharging and having money mindset when I realized that and shifted my business model and the way that I worked with people when I finally believed that they would value what I did, then it shifted me up into the next level of business. So yeah. That's, it's an interesting story. And I think it's something that a lot of people go through. Obviously we both did. And it either does propel you forward or it causes you probably to not make it right. It's yeah, it's very, very common. I mean, I've coached thousands of students now for a long time now, and generally the people who take longer to get to particularly like six figures in their business, a hundred thousand or more are dealing with some sort of money mindset issue. That's generally always the case. It's usually not a case of talent or skill or anything else other than they're just not charging enough or they just don't think clients will pay. Uh, That was certainly what I had to work through in, in the early years. And I think what's really important is because you and I are so alike in our probably family situation and, and, just being in a middle-class American family where, you know, we may not have too many people around us that are business owners or uh, people who value time over anything else, which you do when you become a business owner, time is the most important asset. What I found is, and it took me years to learn this, but I found that I had to surround myself with people who were going to like hit me with that message over and over again and find people who were going to empower me and challenge me rather than the people who are like, well, if you're successful, that must be hard work. Cause that's, I'm sure you've heard that too, right? It was, maybe that's what your mom was kind of saying. Like, Ooh, good luck. Like if you're, if you are truly making more money at half the time, then you must be killing yourself during that time. That's, that's it's another a, mindset that leads to, I think, money mindset issues. It is that. And the one that I'm over here, like making faces, like, cause I'm remembering the number of times that people have said to me, Oh, you're so lucky. Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst, right? Simultaneously, we have to work hard to be successful. That's our core belief. But then we also somehow hold this belief that, oh, somebody's successful. They're so lucky. Like, which which one is it? 
That is, and heads up for anyone new to the game, if you become somewhat successful or if you can go full-time or scale your business at any level, you are going to get the lucky statement and it's going to irk you. It's going to make you just want to slap somebody in the face. So heads up, that is going to happen because yeah, it's like, I mean, I hear that still today every once in a while. Somebody would be like, gosh, you're just so lucky to be able to do that. I'm like, yeah, it's just complete luck that I've worked my ass off for over a decade. And I was working when nobody else was working. And I've continued to learn and level up and getting out of my comfort zone and doing things I don't want to do and, uh, you know, breaking out of my typical mindset and, you know, all these type of things. Yes, it's absolute luck. Uh, of course, being facetious. No, it's anything but luck. Yeah. Clearly, clearly, this is a trigger. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you, we talked about luck. It's funny because I'm actually recording a podcast soon on luck and my thoughts of uh, the idea of being lucky in business. So, uh, yeah. So I didn't mean to go there so quick, but uh, it's also it it is it's honestly it's interesting because that is something that can it can affect you sometimes when people say those type of things. In some ways, it is nice to remember like, wow, like maybe I am fortunate to be in this situation. My wife and I talk about that all the time because my wife's a stay-at-home mom and we have two kids right now. Uh, third baby's coming next month, actually. So she often tells me like, I, you know, I'm so fortunate to, to be home. And she's like, but that was because of your hard work. Like she recognizes that. And I recognize that too. Uh, I mean, I by no means say that I'm lucky, but I am definitely blessed and fortunate to be able to do this. Um, but the old quote, luck is where uh, hard work and preparation meets opportunity. I 100% agree with that. Like you might get a lucky break. You might get a project. You might, you might meet somebody who's like a great referral partner, but it is up to you to follow through. And to deliver and to do it over and over and over again to achieve success. So I, I think that could probably boil down to money mindset too, because if you feel like you're lucky, then maybe you're afraid to charge too much because you feel like you're more lucky than valuable. Um, yeah. Or, or you're just like, you're waiting for it to happen to you as opposed mm. to going out and like making it happen for yourself. And you think it's, it's really, to me, I've learned that like sales and marketing is a numbers game right? Like it's just about, you put yourself out there over and over and over again. And like some percentage of people will convert and sure there are things you can do to raise or lower the conversion percentage, but it's just a numbers game. It's not luck. It's just showing up day after day after day and doing the things that a lot of people frankly don't want to do because they yeah. want it to be It's yeah. I do feel like for, for all online entrepreneurs, um, it's the monotonous stuff that if you can just do it and then eventually try to get that off of your table, if you can hand things off and delegate, that's the, where the true power comes into play. Uh, but it's doing the things that most people will not do. Like before we went live, you were saying you've recorded at least one podcast a week for over a year Since now, February. right, Sarah? Since, Since February. February. Okay. So, so, so closing in on a year, maybe, um, that is a good weekly practice or however you do it, even if you bulk record them and schedule them out, it's still a practice of consistency and consistency is the most important thing that I've found to like keep momentum going in your business as an online entrepreneur, because you will have the highs and lows. I've experienced so many highs and lows, but if you can do something consistently, um, there's so much benefit and power to that. I, I learned that with a networking group, just showing up every week, whether I wanted to or not to this networking group, that was so key for me in those ups and downs periods as I, as I grew my business. So, sorry, I'm kind of derailing from the money mindset stuff, but great, 
great ideas. <laughs> no. So I like to say entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. And when you're in the low, the low part, and you're having to start climbing uphill, it's hard to keep going. And sometimes I feel like I'm putting all this energy out and I'm not getting anything back. And then that makes me start to doubt myself. And it's just starts off this whole chain reaction of negative feelings and yeah. stress and anxiety. But you know, actually my next episode that I have slated for after this one, um, it's about reaching levels in your business where you feel like you're in the pit of despair because <laughs> there's like the highs and the lows. And then there's like the real, real lows. Um, well, anyways, what a timely thought because so yesterday, literally yesterday, I did a Q and a session for all my students in my courses. I do a monthly like Q and a call. And one of my students emailed me after that and said, she was at that low point, like low, low, low point. She's, I think she's only about a year, maybe a year and a half into her business. And it's been going well, but not great. Like she hasn't been able to, to go full time yet, but she just got to this point where a couple clients had left. A couple of her clients pulled their hosting and maintenance to recurring income. And she was feeling really down and she was like very close. I mean, potentially maybe weeks or even days from closing, closing her doors to her business but she stuck with it. And then she just let me know that within a, a span of two weeks, like a flood of new business has come and she didn't do anything potentially different. She didn't like ask for business or do any big marketing thing. It was just one of those things where the cyclical nature of, of business online business happened to where it was like a low point. And then now she has more work than she even knows what to do with. And that's so, so common. So I hope that thought is encouraging to folks because if you're in that low point, you're probably right on the cusp of something awesome happening. That that is what has always happened to me. And there's always things that I do that like get me through that, which is not the topic of today. But um, I mean, I'll be honest, like right now in my business, I feel like I'm in a low point and I just, it happens. And I find a lot of times it is like this one in particular, this one is getting to be like a pit for me, the pit of despair. One of my friends actually coined this term. So I'll like give her credit. Her name is Jessica Lackey. We talked last week and she gave me that word. I thought it was the perfect description, but I find that anytime I'm in a low point in this case, especially the pit, I have to shift my thinking around what I'm doing because whenever this happens, it's because I'm overworked. I'm potentially needing to change my like pricing model, the way that I work with clients, adding to my team and all of that. And you know what all of that comes back to? Money mindset. Money, money, I was money just mindset. thinking we could totally tie this in with money mindset because generally if you go through a low period, your first probably pull is to like lower your prices or do anything at a bargain or take those projects that you really don't want to do, those clients that you don't want to work with, but you'll do it because you're feeling desperate. And I did that a couple times. And then what I found happened was once I took some of those ugh, projects on or compromised on my value, then I would get this opportunity with these amazing clients, but I didn't have time to move forward right away, or I just wasn't in a place where I could take them on well. So it's equally as dangerous if you like compromise on your pricing and your value when you're in these low points. Yeah, I, I can't recommend enough. Just stick to your guns. Mm -hmm. um, now there's things you can do. You can market, you can get yourself out there and uh, building momentum, I think, is the most important thing when you're in those low points. Just do something to keep moving forward. Don't fall back. Don't stay stagnant. Just do something, whatever that something is, whether it's launching something, whether it's posting something, whether it's doing a free webinar or a training, even if there's no motive behind it, 
do something to keep that momentum going. I think it's so crucial in those times. Yeah. Well, I mean, I said I'm in a low point now and it's because again, overworked, I need to hire a new team member. I've been doing too much of the delivery. I need to pull myself back and I'm just still showing up. I'm recording podcasts. I'm pitching to be on other people's podcasts. I'm showing up on social media. Like I'm still doing the things. It's just like one foot in front of the other. Can Um, I ask you real quick, Sarah, is your low point self-inflicted or is it outside? Because like my case of my, my student, it wasn't really anything that she was doing necessarily. It was just one of those things where some clients dry, like it just wasn't making many sales. She had some clients leave. Um, whereas sometimes we're our own worst enemy if we're like taking too much on. Do you, do you feel like it's a mix or I was just curious? No, in this case, I think it's self-inflicted because I need to make some like key, like team member hires that I have Mm. procrastinated. And my husband said to me a couple of weeks ago, he's like, why didn't you hire a tax person a year ago? Like, well, I wanted to get a few more monthly clients in just to feel better about the budget because I was of course like um, second guessing myself scarcity mindset, right? Like, what if I don't get any more clients? And he looked at me and he's like, Sarah, how many clients have you lost? Because you've been so busy doing all this like delivery work that you could have used to go and get another client. And I'm like, okay. So I think it's, it's self-inflicted, but also external because the result, because the energy level that I have to go put myself out there is lower than it would be otherwise. And so I'm not, I feel like I'm less maybe magnetic is the word, you know, like just bringing my clients to me. Yeah. Clients can sense if you're just like stressed or just not quite there, you're not energetic or like if you're vibrant with ideas and you're super excited and they can tell like Josh is going to crush it when we get going, that's going to be way better than if I'm like, you know, like I brave, I'm putting a brave face on like serious stress and like overwork, you know, like clients can sense that stuff, even if you don't say a word about it. Yeah, no, I'm, I know. (laughs) I totally know. I will say, um, I am proud of myself because despite wanting to bring on new clients and despite feeling like I'm in, you know, a low point, I had a couple of days ago, somebody sent me a referral And I love referrals. I love it when clients give me referrals. But in this case, I knew that it wasn't a good fit. Just looking at the referral, referee, is that the right word? I don't know. We're looking at their website, like they're in an industry that I just, I don't have anything to do with. I don't really want anything to do with. It's like manufacturing industrial stuff. Mm. It's just not my cup of tea. I like the industries that we work with now. And so I said, I just, I'm not, I'm not in the space. Like this is probably not an ideal fit and lifted at that. So I'm proud of myself. I've gotten to the point where I don't feel like I need to take on that work just because it's there. And I know, I know now through experience that when I turn down the things that are a bad fit, I will draw more things that are a good fit to me because I'll have the space for it. So waiting on that. Well said. That's a perfect case study of like, you're you're in that position where it could be a danger. You could totally have gone that route, but it sounds like your experience so far has trained you to like, don't give in. It's a trap. It's a trap. It is. It's I've done it before and it never works out well. It doesn't. And I'm sure you have too. Like you take on somebody who's not a good fit. It drains more of your time and energy and my team's time and energy than it's worth. And I've just learned just, I can spot it now from a mile away and I'm just 
mm-mm, we're not doing yep. it. So totally agree. What a great, what a great reminder for everyone to hear for sure. How do you know you're ready to hire a CFO? How do you know you'll get a return on a big investment like that? I know that you need a CFO when your business gets to be too big and has too many moving parts for you to be able to handle all of your finances. When you don't have a solid financial strategy in place and you would love to start investing and building your wealth, becoming more of a business owner instead of working a job in your business, but you just don't know where to start and aren't getting enough support from your bookkeeper or tax accountant. I'm on a mission to help more business owners become millionaires and to have more financial power. And we do that by increasing your cash flow and the value of your business, investing in the right things to grow and systematize everything, including paying you a regular CEO salary, of course, and then putting your profits into other assets that will in turn give you even more cash flow and passive income and potentially save you some tax money. Our CFO service is a very hands-on service for quickly growing six and seven figure businesses where you get an integrated finance team, including me as your CFO in your back pocket, all focused on making you more profitable. We'll handle your financial strategy, accounting and taxes so you can turn your business into a wealth generating engine. If you are ready to add a CFO to your team, you can read more about what we do at trustyoungco.com forward slash CFO and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page where you can book a free call with me. I know that through you've been in business for a long time and you've had over a thousand clients in your coaching programs now, right? Like you you have seen a lot. Yeah. I've had 1300 students who have joined my courses and um, have a pretty big YouTube channel right now and the podcast has grown. So yeah, yeah. I've That's been, no small thing. Yeah. What do you see with your students or clients? How, what are the things that you see, like the really common themes? We've probably touched on a few of them already, but what are the common themes that you see them, you know, going through as it relates to their mindset as they not just start, but grow their business and even potentially get to that like six figure point needing to get support and all of that. What are the common themes? It's very common to what we've both glanced on from, from our upbringing with just the scarcity mindset, money mindset of feeling like, even if you feel like your work is really good and you're worth more, it's, it feels like, I think the biggest thing that I can sense and that I, looking back, I realized I went through is you feel like you're taking money from your clients and you're not helping them in our case build websites that grow their business that was 100 percent how i felt when i was doing websites for like two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars i felt like they're like giving me three thousand dollars and i felt like i was taking that money but later on in my journey i realized hold on hold on i'm building something that first off is a great deal for a few grand until i started raising my rates even more to the five to ten thousand dollar range And I'm creating something that may last years for them that is truly a 24-7 salesperson for their business. And this is going to help some companies potentially make hundreds of thousands of dollars or even more. So this is 100% worth this investment and so much more. So that's one of the biggest challenges that I faced and that I see a lot of my students face is they're viewing their work like taking money out of the pockets of their clients when in fact their client is investing in them to make this tool. It's going to help grow their business. And 
I've had a lot of conversations recently about the idea of being expense-minded versus investment-minded. And I think for all service providers and entrepreneurs, you need to put yourself in the place of being investment-minded, not only with your money for when you're like hiring a team or hiring people to help you market or whatever it is, but you have to think about that for your clients because if you are expense-minded, like I was, like I'm paying $2,000 for something and it's out of my pocket and I'll never see it again. That is going to reflect how you sell and how you approach clients and how you educate them and how confident you are with proposals and stuff. But if you come to it with an investment mindset and you are serious about helping your client realize, you know, this $5,000 project, I want to help you make like, you know, a hundred X that potentially over the next few years, they will see that and view it completely different. So that's one of the biggest keys, particularly when it comes to money mindset is feeling like there's this like expense mindset on something as opposed to, you know, investment. Like I'm, I'm going to pay this, I'm going to take the money out of my pocket. I'm going to give it to this service provider and I want it to come back tenfold ideally. Yeah. So I love that. I love that framework. And I talk about too, in my programs that I have and with clients, there's a difference in spending money and then investing it. And I think it's the intention around it, but as the person who is providing the product. So in this case, a website, one thing that I find helps me is actually looking back at the clients I've had and like quantifying or like writing down all of the quantifiable and then like more soft, like qualitative things that I have seen them be able to do in their business. And with me, I don't necessarily take credit for I had one client, I just did a renewal like a month ago for them. And I, when I do the renewals, I'm like, let's, well, I'm going to recap the stuff that I've done in the last year because one, I want them to see it, but then it also helps me understand the value I'm providing to them. And so this one in particular, that's coming to mind, like tripled their revenue, grew their team, stayed super profitable. And I'm like, you did all these things. And I'm certainly not for me going to take a hundred percent credit for that. But I like to think that I enabled that, right? Sure. Yeah. Writing those things down and like seeing like, this is the tangible value that I have provided helps you understand that you can charge more. And for a website, it could be as simple as, Hey, maybe it's how much traffic are you going to get? How much like SEO could you get? What are your conversions? Mm -hmm. How many sales could you potentially make if we optimize these things? And bring it back to just the data, like your brain cannot argue with data as much as it may want to. That's a great point. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Sarah. It's like, if you can focus on the results you get for clients, that will change everything with how you price yourself and how you arrange your services and how you sell. And, and it all goes back to the money mindset because suddenly I'm not even going to think about dipping my prices because I know what I'm doing now for the majority of my clients is going to make at least uh, a, a profit for them potentially within a month or two. Like if a client spends $3,000 on a website and let's say their average customer spends like $500 with them a year. Well, it would only take me in this case, six clients to, for that cust that website to convert, to pay for the website. 
And then after that, it's all profit on their end as far as the investment of this website. So that's also one little uh, hidden trick to, to help people, like help clients who are questioning the cost is if you can find out how much their average customer would spend. And then if you can help them get a certain amount of customers to equal that investment within a certain amount of time, then they're going to make that back. And then it's all again all, you know, profit from there. So that, that was a big shift in me when I think about the landscape of like money mindset for me was there was a period where I unintentionally started focusing on results and I wasn't just selling websites anymore. I was selling like growing your business, getting more customers through your website. And even in my proposals, I did a couple of different things that really helped. One was I talked about the project goals and the results we wanted to get with the website. So it wasn't just like, I'm going to build a 10 page website. It was like, we're going to build a website that has 10 pages to do this. And I also, one little hidden trick that really helped me when I started getting higher end projects was instead of saying total cost at the end, I said total investment and just switching the term cost over to investment that seemed to help rework a lot of my clients who may have been on the edge and didn't realize that this money was going to come back to them. In, in a lot of different ways to the website. Yeah, no, I do too. And I think tying it to the outcomes, but actually, you know, you have to follow through on those things, but like, if it helps you understand their goal is this, and this is for any business owner, I think, um, but especially service-based businesses, right? Like tying it to like, what is the goal? And then what are the actual tangible things that you can do to help them achieve that? And, you know, that I think enables you to provide a better service, charge a higher price, have happy customers and get more referrals and repeat business, right? Yep. And there is a big difference, I should say, between goals and guarantees. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you're going to, on the proposal, say, I guarantee you're going to get at least six clients with this website to equal the, I'm sure you would, but it's the goal of, you know, do growing whatever the result would be for that client. Yeah. I had one recently that as you're talking about this came to mind. So she was running like Google ads, getting customers to her website, booking calls off of her website for like her business and her conversion rate on her calls was like 20%, which to me is really low for a service-based business. And I was like, I looked at her website and even as a non-expert person, I was like, you need to change your whole website. You need to like change the flow, make it clear. What are you doing? I have no idea. Like what I know of your business is not reflected in your website. And so she did that and she worked with somebody to streamline, like, what's the flow when they come in? What do they need to see to booking a call? And then I was like, okay, you're a permission. You have permission from your CFO to go spend more money on ads now that you fixed all this. And the month after she did that, she like tripled her revenue for something insane. And I'm just like, this is exactly it. That's exactly it. It's what I might need to take that and share it with all my students, because this is the power of websites. You can do all the marketing and outbound stuff and ads that you want, but if your website doesn't convert, that is the problem. Like all roads should lead to your website, ideally. So like, don't go ham on social media and ads and all these other funnels until you get your website right to convert. And you can test that on a small level. She probably could have 
well, it sounds like you did before she did more ads. Like you, you just changed, she changed the website that converted did better. And then, yeah, then you can go for it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, she changed the flow of like the messaging and like how her services and packages were laid out so that by the time people booked a call, they were more qualified mm. and more ideal clients. And then that just increased the conversion, increased sales. Like I'm sort of, I was shocked the first time I saw it. We might, I, you might have to come back and talk about like how to make more money with a website. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. So, okay. We have this idea of taking from your clients instead of the value um, being an, ex, an expense versus an investment. I love that. One other one that I think is really common is I think, do you see this? Like people tying their self-worth to their pricing. And so like when I started my business, I looked at what do other bookkeepers charge? You know, what do tax preparers charge? Like, even though I'm not a, a bookkeeper or a tax preparer, again, that was my mindset of like, who am I? And like, what is my identity? What am I doing? It took me a long time to realize that I was not that. Um, but like coming out, looking at what your competition charges, pricing where they are or just below it, because why would anybody come to you instead of going to your competition? I'm sure you see that one too. Yeah. I mean, when I started talk about money mindset problems, my first like ads that I ever did on Craigslist when I started my design business back in 2009. And then even I did some like local advertisements and magazines locally here. Uh, I put cheap web design because of just what you said. I Felt like I wasn't, which I mean, I wasn't a great designer at that point. And I, and I understand charging low at first, but you get to the point where you very quickly want to up your prices and see what the average is in the industry. Um, but when I put cheap verbiage in my advertising, guess what type of clients I got? Very cheap clients. And it was terrible. Uh, I actually did get a couple okay clients on Craigslist to start and everything, but it did bring the cheap crowd. It, how you put yourself out there is who you're going to get in return. So that was a definitely, definitely a big aspect. I put myself out there as a cheap designer. Uh, I learned to fix that pretty quickly. The other thing, I think you're right. There's, there's the self-worth. So I felt like I wasn't worth much. So I put myself out there as cheap. And then I upgraded from cheap to affordable websites. So it still brought me the cheap people. Then eventually I was like, okay, I'm getting pretty good. I'm dropping that lingo altogether. The, the other big thing that I have realized as I look back on this, and I see a lot of my students dealing with this, is they are charging and creating packages around their own money mindset of what they think is expensive. And you have to realize when you are entering the online world or the entrepreneurial world, the business world, whatever, other people are not on the same plane as you. Like for me, 10 years ago, $2,000 for a website was a huge investment. Like I would have, if I had to pay two grand, that would have been huge for me. Right now, it wouldn't be a big deal at all. Plus I'm investment minded now, as opposed to being expense minded. So I say that to say when I was charging like a thousand dollars for websites, I almost felt like, gosh, a thousand bucks. That's a lot of money. At this time in my life, I was single, didn't have any, barely any bills, didn't have many expenses. That to me was a lot of money. To some of my clients, they were like only a thousand. Like I want a website that's going to help me grow my business. This doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like it's going to go well for me. And I had to realize that over time. I mean, that was a, that was like years of realizing this, but what is expensive to you is not necessarily expensive to somebody else, particularly 
if they're investment minded? Oh, I, so as you were talking, I, what I had come to mind is back to the scarcity mentality of if I charge more then less people will want to work with me. And that may be true, but I think that less is relative. So when you think about how many businesses are there in the United States, I think it's like 30 million businesses. I think it's like just under 10% of those businesses do seven figures or more. Hmm. So that is 3 million businesses in the United States that do a million dollars or more in revenue. And you know what those clients can afford in terms of websites or CFO services or anything. It's, I have a client who just did one this year. I think they paid like $35,000 for a website. Right. And so like getting out of that, like scarcity mindset of like, oh, less people will want to work with me. Like, sure. Yes. You are probably narrowing the population from 30 million businesses down to 10 who will have the money to work with you, but that's 10 million potential businesses. Like there's no way in your lifetime you could ever go through all of those clients. Well, especially, especially with like, I would imagine with CFO services like web design, you don't need that many clients. General. So what I found is a lot of my students who get to a hundred thousand or more, and some of my students are building like multi six figure businesses. Now they don't have hundreds of clients. They're just adding more valuable services and really good work for like potentially two or three dozen clients. Like when I was, when I built my agency to be, which I say agency, it was just me and a couple subcontractors. We, it was a multi six figure web design business. And we had three dozen clients at the top. Like it was not that many businesses. It was so important for me to remember that. Like, I'm so glad you, you reminded me of that because so many people do think there's just going to be a shortage of people needing websites. And I remember talking about the family thing. I remember my mom, bless her heart. When I started my business, she was like, are you ever worried? Like people are going to stop needing websites or there's not going to be enough work for web designers. And that scared me. And I think it came from a place of scarcity and she's kind of, you know, she's in the corporate world. So it's probably very common. You feel like there's, you know, in the corporate world, there are limited numbers of jobs for a position. But when you're in the freelance world, we're in the wild west of online entrepreneurship, which is awesome. There's no scarcity. And if there is any sort of scarcity that you would run across, you can just do something different or unique that would open up a whole new segment of, of potential customers. So 100%, Sarah, a lot of people feel like they need to underball themselves to get a bunch of clients. Uh, or lowball themselves. Underball? Did I just make up a word? I think it's lowball. Lowball sounds right. So. Well, I'm going to stick with underball. I'm going to see if that catches on. But <laughs> prime example, I was for a long time charging $1,000 on average for websites. And it was around the time where I wanted to get to six figures. I was newly married. And literally, my business was not set up to win. I was literally set up to fail because I had to look at this and realize, hold on, hold on. I got a, I'm charging $1,000 on average. In order to make $100,000, if I do not have any other services, then how many websites do I need to sell? 100. I need to sell 100 websites this year. That is an insane amount of websites to try to sell as a one-person shop. So literally, I had to look at the books, and I'm sure this idea excites you. You have to look at your services, how much you charge, how many clients you want to get, ideally, on average per month, per year, and you want to see if that gets you to your goal. So if you can just literally put your numbers and goals on a spreadsheet, it could be as simple as a 
you know, simple table spreadsheet that should tell you whether you're set up for success or burnout and failure. <laughs> and that's what that, I realized. Yes. That is something I like to come back to the data, right? Because sometimes your mind can convince you of one thing or another, but if you come back to like black and white numbers, like they don't lie. So let me ask you this. When you said, I want to do six figures at a thousand dollars a pop, I need a hundred clients. Did you at any point think that was feasible? Did you could try to convince no, yourself? That that's what I got to the place. That was about five years into my journey. I got to six figures, six years into my journey. And I realized at that point, and I, and it probably came from a point, like I did have a couple mentors who told me I was charging way too low. And I started meeting other web designers who were charging two, three, four, five thousand dollars on average. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm getting pretty good. I should be able to do that. But again, I was afraid I had that scarcity mindset totally that held me back. So I did not try to convince myself to make that work. What I did is I, I got out of my comfort zone and I took some risks and I did some proposals where normally I would charge a thousand or 1500. And I was just like, this company seems legit. I know they're making a lot of money. Let me just, a couple of them, I did like double. And then would you believe it, Sarah, almost all of the people who I just proposed more on went for it. And that told me like, wow. I have been, first of all, I was mad because I was like, I could have been doing this three years ago, charging double or triple my rates. Um, and that's how I really, I mean, that's what really expedited my journey. I mean, at one, one year I was, I think I made about 60,000 and then the next year I made over a hundred and that's, it was really just doubling my, it was like doubling my rates. Um, now there were some projects where I like to, if people are scared of doubling their rates, I do recommend you can still raise your rates in what I call the same price bucket, which will still keep you a little in your comfort zone, but you're stretching yourself to get out of that. Like if you charge up $1,500 for your service, maybe you'll charge 2000. It's not that much. It's not like 4,000, but you're still an extra 500 bucks per project could be a big difference for you. Um, so that's my recommendation just to start raising your rates. But as soon as you realize, wow, I'm way more valuable then I've been charging, then double, double that sucker and see what happens. Okay. <laughs> I asked if you tried to convince yourself if that was feasible because I did that. So mm. I, when I first went full-time in my business, which was summer 2020, I, because I'm a CPA and I looked around at what every other CPA was doing and what they were charging for it. I offered bookkeeping and tax prep. And I remember like I even did a monthly recurring bookkeeping fee, but it was like $275 or something ridiculous and ridiculous to me now anyways. And I remember doing the math of, okay, I want to get $10,000 a month. And it was like, I don't have a calculator within easy reach, but it was something like 40 clients a month. And I honestly tried to convince myself that I was going to be able to do that. Mm. And I very quickly took on more clients and then I very quickly burned out. And that was yeah. my first pit of despair. I was just going to say it, it, it could have been feasible. I could have done that if I wanted to work 90 hours a week, I, then I could have done it, but burnout was where it was going to lead to. And, and luckily I had done it at about five years to that point where I realized I, I kind of sensed that's where I would head if, if that was the case. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I ultimately decided I was going to start doing CFO services, which are becoming more and more popular now. But back in 2020, I think it was like slightly less 
there were slightly less people doing it. But in early 2021, I had done CFO work like on a consult hourly basis before. And I, in early 2021, I got my first like monthly retainer CFO client and I charged them $4,000 and they didn't even blink and they paid it. And so what is that? 275 to 4,000. Like, what is that? Uh, yeah, that's a big, that's a wonderful increase. Right? I don't know the math, but that's an awesome, you know, what, like 20 X or something, something, something ridiculous. So I guess like the point is, I like to tell people that story and like, it's not about just like trying to double or triple or 20 X your prices, or it's not just like offering the same thing and trying to double it. It's like, basing the higher level of service on, well, with the CFO client, I'm going to be doing all these extra things that are yes. strategy-based, right? One of the best things you can do, and one thing that I've helped a lot of my students out with when they are in this limiting, like low cost for their services mindset is like, if they want to keep a low offer, you can, but just have like three packages, like, gosh, I wish somebody would have told me this 10 years ago. I would have had three packages because I would always just do one custom quote for a project. I had no idea how much time it would take. And I would just be like, Ugh, I don't know, $1,000 for a website. Of course, it would take like 100 hours and I'd make 10 bucks an hour. Um, but one of the best things you can do and what I eventually did was three tiers, a starter tier for like the clients who were like new clients or a pizza shop who didn't have that much money, but maybe they'd be a good client and be on my hosting and maintenance plan. Wouldn't, you know, be a small project. They could have my first tier. The middle tier is where most clients would, would end up at. For me, I got to the point where my middle tier was between the three and $5,000 range and then have a top tier. My top tier was often 75, $10,000, $15,000 plus for websites. And a lot of those clients that would come in through my funnel, they'd see the top tier and be like, oh yeah, that, we're not at that point. But the middle tier, for 5,000, yeah, that sounds about like what we need right now. But then some of my clients would be like, yeah, we're, you know, like this is a legit business. Let's go to the $10,000 option. This is what's involved. So as far as like confidence and money mindset, it's a great little game to, not even game, I don't want to call it a game, but it's a great trial to like just set up multiple tiers, have an offer that is way more expensive than you're comfortable with. And it doesn't mean that all of your clients are going to go to that, but the few who do want it, they are going to be awesome. And then they will help you get rid of those low tiers eventually. So yeah. just do it. Offer a, a high tier option. Yeah. And just test it out. And I, ask, I often ask people, like, your, your brain is arguing against this, like hardcore right now. What is the absolute worst thing that could happen? Yeah. Somebody right? says no, or they, they don't go no. for it. Right. Like that's the absolute worst thing. And is that really that bad? And, and no, the, the answer is no. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about a tiered level of service, like one, two, three, is if somebody doesn't want to go for the top tier, they're probably going to go for the other tier. So there's no, like, there's literally no harm in having a top tier service available. And if somebody wants the middle tier, that's fine. They're just not going to get all you would offer in a top tier, but they can always upgrade. So this could apply to any industry. I know we're not just talking to web designers here. Like for web design, it's quite easy because you can have a very constrained starter style package. You can have a general middle style package that has a certain amount of pages and functionality and work. And then you have that top tier for really big sites where it's going to be more intensive, but you get paid for it and you get paid very well. Uh, so yeah, just, there's no harm in having a top tier option. No, 
No. And I think that sort of mentality goes for any business. And, you know, I think a lot of the tangible advice is probably targeted at service-based, but I would even say like, I know I have product-based business owners who listen to this podcast. And I say the same thing because you can just have a higher tier product that is higher quality, or, you know, there's some extra little thing that people like, maybe you bundle things together Yep. Or, you know, like whatever you do to charge a higher tier, but you can also have a lower tier. So I was I think- just going to, I was just going to say, it's literally what I've implemented in my business, which is 100% product based now uh, with my online courses. I'm actually in the midst of creating for, for the new year, a very high ticket, high tier program. And that's going to be way more than I've charged typically, but there's going to be so much value in that. I'm not even afraid to charge several thousand dollars for this, this program, because I know what results I'm getting for a lot of my students now. So I've applied the same thing and you're right. The bundling option is a very untapped way to go with offering a higher product. So my current setup, I have nine web design courses that range in between hundred and $500. And I created this bundle option that is 1500 all the courses together cost over 2000 so i just made this bundled option for 1500 to get essentially 30 percent off if you get all of them guess what my number one selling product is Sarah? tell me it's the bundle it's the bundle that is the number one seller and what happens is a lot of people will dive into one course and then maybe another and they're like let's just upgrade to the bundle it's going to save me a lot of money they're getting results they upgrade to the bundle i'm so glad I did the bundle because it was, it's a huge, like it is like over 50% of my online course income and it's nothing new. Like it's just mixing all my products together. So a lot of people listening probably have several different services or products. My recommendation would be to like try bundling them together. And maybe that's your high offer. Maybe your top tier is like, if I've got three services, then my top tier is like all my services together. And there there's your 10 X offer, your high offer. Yeah. I know. I honestly forgot about you have all of your like courses that are really products. Right. So yeah. I think that's a really great yeah, idea. Cause I don't, I don't do co I don't do like one-on-one coaching or anything. My, I do have a membership right now, which is kind of a, it's a coaching community, but I don't do one-on-one coaching, which is why I always refer to all of my students as students instead of customers or clients. Got it. So I know we have spent a lot of time on pricing. I think I do want to ask I think the next place that I see as business owners grow and once they get past, they kind of nail down their offers is hiring people and building out their team. I think that is where a lot of um, mindset issues come into play too. And so I think all of the same things we've talked about apply to this. I think for what I see in clients and honestly myself, I mean, you heard me talk about how I've delayed hiring a key team member and how that has really worn me down because of a scarcity mindset. And so I think that that one can come up a lot too. And again, I just go back to the data. So I had a call with a client yesterday who wants to hire their first team member. And we literally just sat down and did the math. And I said, okay, if you hire this person, here's what it costs. Here's how many sales you have to make on top of your normal sales to make it work. Do you have the capacity to do this? If you hire a person, the answer was yes. And I said, okay, are you willing to potentially lose some money, use your cash cushion to pay for the person for a few months while you scale your sales up to that level? The answer was yes, I need help. And so it's a done deal. Well, absolutely. I I delayed 
delegating and getting subcontractor help for my business many years because some of it was that I ended up enjoying being the freelancer and being the guy for all my clients, which was awesome in some ways, but I realized I got to a point where I'm at a kind of a bottleneck. I like, I either have to charge really, really high rates and take on less clients, but I had also started teaching at this point and I realized I really want to devote my time to teaching. So in order to keep my business going strong, I need to get some help with fulfilling the designs and everything else. But for me personally, I think it goes back to that expense versus an investment mindset. I always felt like even when I told my clients like this, you know, this website's going to help you grow your business. I always felt like delegating work was just going to cost me money. What I did not take an account for, and I think this is really common for business owners, is the time you get back. When you delegate, yeah, it's going to be a little time consuming in the beginning when you train them and as they get to know your systems and they get better. But eventually, as long as it goes well, they are going to just go. And then you're suddenly going to have a bunch of time back because they are not the only, you are not the only person making money in your business. That's what I found out when I hired my first designer, Jonathan, is I gave him little tasks to, to get going on. And I, he was able to figure stuff out. And I felt like he was going to be a really good fit to take on more parts of projects. Eventually, he became the lead designer. And I got to the point where I wasn't doing any design for our websites. I wasn't even laying out. All I was doing was sales, basic project management to get it started. And then he ran with it. And then I would come back at the end of the project to kind of tidy some things up and offboard the client. That freed me up to start building my courses for joshhull.co and, and really grow my, my brand. I got to the point where I was only working 20 hours or less in my web design business, but it's because I scaled. It's because I delegated and, and hired out. And yes, I was investing in him, but it was just that it was investing. I was able to, to, we still made, I mean, I may have taken a little bit less money at some point, but it's only because I was teaching and doing my courses. So I, I can't look at my business when I scaled it and measure it exactly how I would have if I had done all my time in that business. Like I could have scaled that to a wild level if I wanted to, but I basically I scaled my business in order to free me up to teach and do this passion project that is thankfully, luckily what I do full time. Uh, That's no, just, amazing. Yeah, not luckily. Uh, but yeah, it really all goes back to delegation and, and feeling comfortable with investing in somebody to free up my time. Because when you have more time, you can focus on your business and you can get out of the weeds. And that's when things really, uh, that's, that's when you move the needle forward, as they say in corporate speak. Yeah. Well, for me, I think when I hired my first, my current only full-time employee, I have a couple of part-time people on my team too, but when I hired her, like she was so high level, I was able to outsource a lot of the not the CFO work, but like the reporting, the client communication, just a lot of stuff that was taking up a lot of my time, which freed me up to have a lot more brain space to come up with new ideas, to rest, to take care of myself better, to reduce my stress and sleep more and work less. Like the domino effect was crazy. And then I think all of that feeds, it's like a, it's a feedback loop, right? Where I fix this over here and then I create more energy, which helps me show up better in my business, which then makes me feel more confident. And so, you know, that's not to say that hiring a person is necessarily by itself going to solve all your problems, but I think the hesitation around it, like people typically hire too late to be clear. I'm talking about myself too. 
Yeah, and that's what I did. It's it's very very common. Uh, what we've talked about this entire conversation is really the like the phases of the average money mindset problem. It's like it starts with you. You're undercharging. You're overworking. Once you get over that hump, then the money mindset problem is explaining that to clients and getting really good clients and more high tier offers that make you profitable. And then the last part of it is the money mindset of your business. Like, what are you willing to invest? It's funny because I've actually delayed getting social media help because I, I'm not, I, I'm more active on social media now, but it's not like my main channel. So I invested in getting podcast help through my VA and through my editor way before I started investing in social media, but I'm doing that now. Like now I'm like, I need to spend less time figuring out Instagram reels and sizes and crap. I'm going to have somebody do that, but be present and do the content and let him, you know, run with that. So it's the same thing, but I kind of delayed on that for a while too. Cause I was like, I just, I'll look at the data. I'll make sure the investment in that is getting enough people to, to, you know, to pay for that and make it profitable. Yes. That one is a struggle area for me too. And I think, but I think also there's the element of like, I have to, I need to make the space for me to show up and create the content and do the things that resonate with people and do the speaking and all of that. And not so much on creating graphics and scheduling and all of that mess. All business owners will get to a point where even if it's work you enjoy, it doesn't mean that you should be doing it. If you want to really grow your business. Like I enjoyed editing my podcast. I like editing. It's kind of fun as much as I love, like my favorite thing to do is conversations, probably shocker, but I really enjoyed the, the editing aspect of it too. It was like a different gear in the mind, but it was time consuming. And my business coach told me, he's like, you know, if you want to keep on doing that, you're not going to be able to have the time to do the other big things in your, in your business. I can't work on this new program that I'm building. If I am spending all my time on social media and editing my podcast, those are the things that I can do, but I'm honestly not the best at. So get those off and focus your attention on the high level stuff. That's another I, big, yeah, big money. Can I tell thing. you yesterday I had a consult with a business that does low seven figures and there's two business partners. And one of them, the one that I had the consult with was like, Oh, I'm doing all the bookkeeping. Ooh. And I was like, Oh my God, just because you can does not mean that you should. Okay. Mm. Again, scarcity mindset. If I pay a bookkeeper to do this, is this really going to give me a return? And the answer is probably yes, but Ooh. It's just going to hold you back, quite frankly. And I and I do think there's a place to do work you enjoy if it fills you up. And part of what I'm doing, because I come from a graphic design and web design background, I still do some of that work. But what I've done is like, I'll do some of the graphics and create a template and make it a system that somebody else can go in and do that ongoing. So I still scratch the itch of design and keeping me fresh, but I don't do every graphic now or every, like I have, I've system and, and I'm continuing to scale those out to again, free up this lovely, most important resource that cannot be get got back. And that is time. Yes. Okay. So my last money mindset question is, do you have any sort of tactical suggestions or even practices that people could implement into their daily or weekly routine to help them get past any money mindset blocks holding them back. And so their money mindset then propels them forward. I think the like the tiered option, the tiered pricing is one of the best things that will help with the money mindset because 
you suddenly go from a place of instead of like having one offer and then you're like, well, if I've raised my rates, what if nobody goes for it and my income stops? It's just adding something else for the for the top tier type of clients. That would be the number one thing I would recommend because it's easy to do. Often, it's not even a new service. It's like what we just talked about a little bit ago. You just bundle your services together for this high tier thing. I would definitely challenge everybody to do something like that and give yourself a deadline on it. Do it within like a week or two and just offer it. Just have it available. It's not going to hurt anything. It's going to, you'll be surprised at how much confidence you feel when you have a like $5,000 product or $10,000 product, even if no one goes for it initially. Somebody will eventually. The other thing I would say when it comes to, particularly since we were just talking about delegation, um, for any of those people who like there's red flags going off right now and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm doing you know, artwork in Canva, and I know I shouldn't be doing it. What I would say is just try delegating on a very small level. Like try one project or like a very small amount of hours for somebody, whatever that role would be. That, that way it's not going to make or break your business. Like if you try to bring in somebody to run half of your business right away, it's probably going to be a nightmare. But if you bring somebody on to do some small tasks that you just don't enjoy, or you just know you just should not be doing, hire that out and just see what happens. See how amazing it'll feel when things are getting done in your business and it's not all on your shoulders. Because heads up, it's going to be extremely addictive. And then you're going to want to delegate more and more and more and more, which is awesome. And you can do it one step at a time, but I, I would do those couple of things as far as just a simple practice that will really help with, with you know, getting those things off your plate. No, I think those are good suggestions. I think the, what it, I would summarize that as just try it. Yeah. And what's the worst it. that can happen, right? If the worst that can happen is your whole business shuts down, like maybe don't, but if it's like, okay, the worst that'll happen is somebody says no, or I pay somebody a couple hundred bucks to do this project and they screw it up miserably. I mean, the worst that happens is you lose a couple hundred bucks. Like that's, you can yep. probably earn that back pretty fast. Mine that I would like to throw in as a suggestion is just becoming aware, like bringing awareness to your mindset. So I think a lot of us just get in autopilot mode and don't actually stop and think about well, what is my money mindset and thinking through all the stuff we've talked about. If any of this resonates with you, whether it's starting you know, with your family, how were you raised? What were the things that happened to your family and to you when you were little around money? What were you taught about money, like both good and bad and like start to challenge how are these things showing up? And if you ever feel like you're in the, you know, low point, a pit of despair, like step back and say, am I, am I doubting my ability to be successful? Am I doubting my value in any way and, you know, work through that, whether you journal on it, which helps me or talk through it with a mentor or a business friend or whoever, I think is really great. Just, just bring awareness to it to start off with. Yeah, I would back that up, particularly if you don't have any external needs. Like it's very common that the, uh, the kid effect is, I've heard it called different things, but I could just call it the kid effect. Like when you have kids, that's when you really start making money because you have to make money you're going to be more confident in selling higher services because you got way more bills to pay. Uh, so if you're in a situation where you're, a lot of people might be going through that, or maybe they're getting married or they just got a mortgage or rent or whatever, that's going to like make you want to charge more. But if you're not in a position where you have that external pressure, great reminder, like look at your money mindset and just think about 
these areas that we've talked about and just make some changes, subtle changes. They don't have to be huge. You don't have to do anything that's going to blow your business up, offer something higher and delegate a little bit and then see what happens. Yes. No, I love that. So closing advice, have a kid and it will force you to make money, which I actually, it's funny. I am shocked at how effective and efficient I am with my time since having a kid because I have to be. Yep. That is very common. Yeah. Everyone's terrified of having kids as an entrepreneur because you're like, where is my time going to go? How am I going to stay at this level? You'll be shocked at how much time you're wasting. And I'm sure you, Sarah, like me, have probably looked back and you're like, what the hell was I doing before I had kids? Like at all this time, what was I doing? I was probably wasting so much time on stuff I didn't need to do. Yes. 100%. Okay. Well, this was good. I feel like we could keep going all day, but I'll stop us here because I think we've covered a lot and there's a lot of, I think, tangible takeaways for anybody to take from this, whether you are a web designer, service-based business, product-based, whoever you are. And for me too, honestly. Um, So my last question that I always ask people when I have them on as interviews is because I like to I like to be responsible with money, but I like to remind us that we can also have fun with our money that we make. So my question that I ask everybody is, what is something that you, your business affords you that is an upgrade or what is something that you want it to afford you that will be a life upgrade? Well, another timely question. We just moved into a new build. Um, so I have a brand new office that has a little lounge area with it and everything. So, I mean, I'm 13 years into this journey, so I feel like I've certainly earned this, this, uh, this point where we're at, but yeah, we've been, we, we just recently moved into our new house, which we had been building for every year and, uh, fair to say the business is the only reason that we were able to to do this. So yeah, that's That's a big one. Yeah, that's a, that is a big one that, that is really cool. And you funded that with your ideas, right? Yep. yep. And hard work. Like that is crazy, crazy good. So, well, that is fun. Mine, mine is a lake house. Everybody who listens to my podcast, they know this already. They're tired of hearing me talk about it, but I want a lake house and a boat. And you can't tell me that boats are a waste of money. Don't care. <laughs> oh, I love that too. I remember you talking about that on my show. Uh, I agree. I, I can't wait to get a boat one day. I know everyone jokes about it being a hole in your wallet, but if you love it, and you're not, it's not, you know, breaking the bank, then by all means, enjoy it. There's, there's plenty of other things that people waste money on that they may not realize it. Oh, don't, I can't, don't even get me started. I drive a right. 2007 Honda Accord y'all. So that's what I think about cars and money, you, but your little Honda can sputter along to your nice boat one day. Exactly. I know it's funny. Okay. Well, this was so good. Tell us where we can find you, you know, how can people work with you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah, my website is joshhall.co. You can go there to check out all my resources, courses, bunch of free stuff. Um, There'll be links to my socials there. Right now, I'm just active on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, But I would definitely invite everyone since we're on a podcast to check out my show, which is the Web Design Business Podcast. And your episode, I believe, just went live shortly before this one went out. So everyone go to episode 215 on the Web Design Business Podcast, and you can hear Sarah uh, talk about finance and uh, hopefully maybe some things you haven't covered on this show yet. I I don't know if we covered anything new there, but it was a great chat. So I definitely invite everyone to check that out. You'll have to go listen to find out. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate it. This was good. And um, I hope everybody got something great from it. Thanks for your time, Sarah. That was fun. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Now, I want you to go take some action. What's one thing you can do this week to create more profit in your business? Send me a DM on Instagram at youngcocfo and share your action item with me. If you have a question or topic you'd like me to dive into, or if you're feeling empowered about taking charge of your finances, let's continue the conversation. Go to profitandprosper.co to submit a question or topic for me to talk about on the show. And because we all profit and prosper better with friends, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe wherever you listen, and share the episode. Make sure you tag me at youngcocfo on Instagram so I can give you some love, and I'll see you in the next episode.